If you love the History Extra podcast and want to help us keep bringing you brilliant episodes, then please share it with a friend or a fellow history fan who you think might enjoy it. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. Hola. Hello, this call is being translated. Abuela, listen to what my phone can do. Abuela, escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer. Wow, ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva. Wow, now tell me about this new girlfriend. Huh? Tú sabes lo que dije. You know what I said. Language is no longer a barrier, thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Awaken your senses with a curiously refreshing Hendrix Cucumber Lemonade. Curious how? Cue the aroma. Marvelous. Cue the taste. Magnificent. Cue the cucumber. That's the refreshing secret. Hendrix is uncommonly crafted with cucumbers, roses, artistry, and imagination. Other gins are ordinary, but Hendrix is refreshingly curious. Discover Hendrix Gin cocktail recipes at HendrixGin.com. Please drink the unusual responsibly. Hendrix Gin, 44% alcohol by volume. Bottled and imported by William Grant Sons, New York, New York. Copyright 2024. Hello and welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine, Britain's best-selling history magazine. I'm Ellie Cawthorn. Today's interview is with the historian and author Keith Lowe. Keith has just published a new book called Prisoners of History, which tells the story of 25 Second World War monuments from across the globe and the light that they can shed on the societies that created them. Keith is also going to be delivering a virtual lecture on this topic called Should I Stay or Should I Go? The Problem with Historical Monuments in 2020 on Thursday the 9th of July. Visit our website historyextra.com forward slash virtual hyphen lecture for more information. For this podcast conversation, he spoke to our editor, Rob Attar. Your book is clearly very timely at the moment, as monuments have been at the centre of historical debates recently. What do you think sets apart the World War II monuments from some of these other ones? Well, I mean, there are some uh, aspects of all monuments, which are sort of, you know, they, they have aspects in common. But Second World War monuments are kind of, they held a special part, I think, in not only our national consciousness, but in, in, in global consciousness. I mean, these are monuments which re- reflect events which happened to everybody, to the whole world. So, so they're, 
their international significance is is something which is really quite unusual. Um, they're also, I think, it's much more difficult uh, to be angry at Second World War monuments and to want to tear them down in the same way that we're seeing to some of the other monuments because of the things that they signify. I mean, they're, they're still very current and very emotional in a way that, uh, that we're willing to support, put it that way. Whereas some of the other monuments which are uh, coming down, we're, we're losing support for those, um, and quite rightly so in some cases. I mean, the Second World War, on the face of it, feels less morally complex than many other conflicts that have happened. But actually, in the book, as you point out, almost all of these monuments do have some controversies attached to them. Why do you think that is? Well, this is the thing. Uh, Every different country has a completely different story about what the Second World War was. Uh, You know, we all think that it's this this big communal thing. But actually, you know, here in Britain, we like to think of ourselves as the great heroes of the war. You know, we went and liberated Europe and so on. In Europe, they have a completely different way of looking at the war. They look at the war as this absolutely terrible disaster which destroyed everything. Um, you know, they're, they're the victims of the war. Then you go to, say, Germany or, you know, they've got a, a, a narrative which they have to confront the fact that they were kind of the villains of the war. So they have, a, again, a very different way of looking at things. And when you go from one country to another, you see these different stories clashing against one another. They, they, they don't often sort of meet up somehow. So countries have had um, quite serious ding-dongs over their respective monuments. Um, I'll give you a few examples. The, the one that immediately springs to mind is, is uh, China and Japan are constantly arguing over uh, the Yasukuni Shrine, for example, which enshrines the, the, the Japanese war dead. But amongst those war dead... There are also war criminals. And uh, so, you know, while, while the Japanese want to honour their dead, the Chinese are absolutely incensed by the fact that amongst the dead are these people who, who committed crimes, you know, very serious crimes against humanity. So th- those two narratives just do not gel. Like, they can't come together in a way which, which there's any consensus. Very controversial over there. And do you see a particular difference between the types of monuments being built in the victorious countries as opposed to the defeated countries? Depends which defeated country you mean, but I I think Germany has been very, very thoughtful, necessarily so, about its memorial culture. They're exemplary, actually, the way they have, have thought of all the different layers of what this defeat meant for them, but also for the rest of Europe. Uh, whereas, you know, we tend to be a bit more blasé because we can afford to be. You know, we were the victors of the war. Uh, we've got to sort of get out of jail free card when it comes to some of the less morally um, comfortable things that we might have done during the war. Because the overall story is that we were doing the right thing. So I, I think we are, tend to be a little bit less thoughtful about the way we monumentalise the war than than, say, the Germans do. Also, of course, you know, our monuments are specifically to heroes, whereas their monuments are to victimhood, to discomfort, and to the fact that they were perpetrators of, of terrible things. So there's, there's a definite disconnect there. How far do you think the monuments actually reflect more the societies that built them as opposed to the events they are commemorating? Ah, now that that's the sort of nub of the whole thing, really. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of talk 
at the moment, especially about, uh, you know, we can't take down monuments because they're, you know, that's erasing our history. Um, and there is some truth in that. But actually, I don't think monuments are put up to historical uh, events really at all. That monuments are put up to reflect the values of the people who are putting them up. So if they're putting them up in the 1980s to the Second World War, they're not really talking about the Second World War. They're talking about the 1980s. If we're putting them up today, we're not talking about the Second World War. We're talking about today. You know, the Second World War is just a sort of lens that we use in order to project our own ideas of what's important to us as a society. That's what the monuments are really saying, I think. And then as societies move on over the decades that followed, to what extent have some of these monuments therefore been challenged by the people who live around them? Well, that's the thing we're seeing now uh, again, too. Um, your values change over time. So when those values change, you've got this big lump of, of stone and metal, which is devoted to the values of a different time. And, and that's why you have people really talking about taking some of them down because they don't seem so relevant anymore. This is not happening so much to Second World War monuments yet, but I, I think it's um, a matter of time. Once the generations who lived through the war die out, then um, there will be some contentious issues that will, will come up in the future, certainly. And one monument that I think might be particularly interesting to our British listeners would be the Bomber Command Memorial that was put up only a few years ago, actually. And, and even at the time, I do remember there being quite a lot of controversies around that. What's your own take on that monument? Well, I mean, that monument is a, is a good example of something. I mean, it, it's, it's commemorating men who flew bombers to bomb Germany, which is a controversial subject. I mean, we might not, we might not like it to be a controversial subject, but it is. Um, there were victims of those uh, bombs, which weren't all military men. There were also women and children and so on. Um, my personal take is that the men who flew those bombers were doing something that was necessary at the time. They weren't responsible for the policies that they were enacting. They were just doing their job. And, and it was a bloody difficult job and very, very, very dangerous for them. So I think it's only right we should commemorate uh, their sacrifice for us. On the other hand, I do think there was an opportunity that was missed, I think, when the monument went up to also acknowledge the fact that you know, the victims were on both sides and, uh, and, and really the victims were victims of war. And war is the terrible thing. It's not, it's not the, the bomber crews or the, or the people in the cities who are being bombed that are the criminals. It's war itself which is a terrible thing, and that should be acknowledged on the monument. It, and it isn't really. Um, there are other things to do with that mon monument which also uh, disturb me, but um, <laughs> they're more to do with the politics of the time, which, uh, which I think is very interesting. So, for example, the right-wing press were really behind the creation of the monument, and the left-wing press didn't really say anything about it at all. Uh, and, and I think that's... That's a shame. I think it should have been something that the left really embraced as well as the right. And then also they might have had a bit more input into it. So it could have been something that uh, there'd be fewer arguments about, put it that way. Still to come on the History Extra podcast. The thing about that is that it's so huge. You can look at pictures of it, but to stand underneath this gigantic weight of 
stone is it really hits you you know that just the the physical size of this thing hola hello this call is being translated abuela listen to what my phone can do abuela escucha lo que mi teléfono puede hacer wow ahora dime sobre tu novia nueva wow now tell me about this new girlfriend huh tú sabes lo que dije you know what i said Language is no longer a barrier, thanks to Live Translate with Galaxy AI on Samsung Galaxy S24 Ultra. Learn more at Samsung.com. Samsung account login required. Calls must be made using the native Samsung dialer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Now, I already asked you about how monuments reflect the societies that created them and how obviously societies change and that might affect how we view the monuments. Is there a similar issue with historical understanding that as our understanding of past events shifts, then the monuments themselves may become more problematic? Yes. I mean, we always revisit history and uh, rewrite it as we learn new things, we get new perspectives and so on. Um I mean the, the the example that comes to mind, which I I will be talking about in the in the lecture for BBC History Magazine, um, is the problems that there are currently between Poland and Russia. So Poland and Russia in the nineteen nineties were coming, you know, they were both throwing off communism. There was a sort of idea that there would be a new friendship between the the, the nations, possibly they agreed to respect one another's monuments to the war dead and so on. That in recent years has gone completely out of the window. And Poland has started, well, in fact, they've completed taking down all their monuments to that used to be dotted all over Poland to friendship with the Soviet Union, to the sacrifices of the Soviet soldiers to liberate Poland and, and so on. Poles, well, a large group of Poles don't really see the liberation uh, that was um, uh, carried out by the Soviet army as a liberation. It was sort of almost a, a second occupation just by a different power. So that historiography is going on right now as we speak, and, and, and monuments have paid the price for it. There aren't any monuments to Soviet soldiers in, in Poland anymore. And it has to be said that Russia has, has kind of replied in kind. You know, they, they now have historiography, which is slightly suspect, um, blaming Poles for all kinds of things, for starting the war, if you're Vladimir Putin, um, and so on. So, you know, these are, are absolutely live issues right now. It's, it's very interesting following this. Now, you're, you're clearly aware of the huge debates that have been around statues in, in the past few months. 
what's your own personal view on what should happen to monuments, be they from World War II or other periods, that people are finding contentious nowadays? Well, I don't think that we should underestimate the passions that are involved here. I mean, monuments aren't just bits of metal and stone. They, they are very powerful symbols. And the Second World War monuments are some of the most emotive symbols you, you can get. I mean, some of them are really quite graphic in their depictions of war and sacrifice and so on. Uh, and the same goes for the passions that are involved around the Black Lives movement. I, mean, I think there are parallels between what I write in the book and what's going on right now. So, like I say, I don't think we should um, underestimate the passions of the people who want to tear these things down because they find them not only offensive but but uh, oppressive um but also we we shouldn't equally underestimate the passions of of those who see them as a sort of a, a great symbol of their own identity and uh, having them torn down is something they see as a personal affront so you know this this is, has to be something which is very carefully dealt with and I think before we can deal with it properly, the heat has to be taken out of this argument a little bit. Some of the monuments quite possibly should come down. In fact, probably should come down. Some of them could stay. There are all kinds of creative ways that we could use to express our our, our discomfort with the, the deeds of the past in a way which still keeps the memorials up, but in a, maybe in a different context or... Uh, there are all kinds of creative ways that I go into in the book um, where um, this has been done to Second World War monuments that are contentious. So I think the first thing is that the heat has to be taken out of the argument and then we can move on from there, hopefully, in a, with a, a sort of spirit of consensus. Something you allude to towards the end of the book is the fact that actually, even though the war is now 80 years old, these monuments are still being built. So what's the impetus behind the creation of new World War II memorials? Well, this is the thing. Yeah, it, it, um, I mean, Russia is a perfect example here. The, the Second World War monuments have been built at a rate of knots over the past 15 years. You know, this is decades after the Second World War is over, and yet we're still putting them up. And it comes down to the fact that these aren't really monuments about the Second World War at all in, in some ways. They're monuments about now. Vladimir Putin is using... Second World War monuments as a way to foster a sort of sense of national pride. He's trying to bring the country together around this symbol of the Second World War. Um, it's a quite an understandable thing to want to do. Um, I'm not entirely against it, but uh, you have to understand that that's what's happening. It's not about history. It's about today. Um, the same thing kind of goes for the, you know, the, we mentioned the Bomber Command Memorial, which was put up, I think it was uh, uh, 2012, wasn't it? the year of the Olympics. That said a lot about the world that we were in in 2012 um, and not necessarily quite so much about 1945. I would urge people who are listening to this, when you go and see a monument, look at it and feel the emotions that are, that are involved with that monument. You know, Think about the, the sacrifices that people in times gone by have made. But also think about when the monument was built. What's it trying to say about that time? Because that's the really interesting part, I think. What does it say about the country who is erecting that monument and how they feel about themselves? Of all the monuments that you write about in the book, do you have, I'm not sure if this is quite the right word, but is there a favourite one of yours or one that you found most impressive or most appropriate? Uh, most appropriate, I don't know. Uh, I mean, they're, they're 
all appropriate in their own setting, I suppose. Um, but there, were, I had some definite favourites. That I, I suppose the monument in Volgograd, which used to be called Stalingrad, of Mother Russia holding up her sword and beckoning to the armies behind her. I mean, that the thing about that is that it's so huge. You can look at pictures of it, but to stand underneath this gigantic weight of stone is it really hits you, you know, that just the, the physical size of this thing. I've got, I took a photo there of a, a man standing in front of it. Um, he was about the same size as her big toe. So that goes to show how huge this thing is. But I think my absolute favourite place uh, in the book is a place called Grutas Park in Lithuania which is uh, one of these sort of monument graveyards where they took all the monuments that they took down after communism was thrown off. And they've got um, monuments there to Stalin, to Lenin, to Felix Dzerzhinsky and, and so on. But they're, they're knocking around in this sort of park, which also has a zoo in it and children's playground. It's, it's an absolutely bizarre place. So you have like these little kids climbing, clambering onto statues of Stalin and there's another... Um, Lenin in a, a field of llamas. So there are llamas wandering around, grazing around, around Lenin. Uh, there's something quite charming about the way they are ridiculing these monsters of the past, and and it sort of makes it easier to to I don't know to to, to face the the evils that they did if you're not scared of, of them anymore because they're being ridiculed right in front of you. There's there's something sort of magical and a bit weird about that. Uh, about that park. That was Keith Lowe. Prisoners of History, What Monuments Tell Us About Our History and Ourselves has just been published by William Collins. If this podcast sparked your interest in this topic, Keith is going to be delivering a virtual lecture called Should I Stay or Should I Go? The Problem with Historical Monuments in 2020 on Thursday the 9th of July at 7pm British Summertime. Visit our website at historyextra.com forward slash virtual hyphen lecture for more information on this and for the details of pricing and how to sign up. We're hoping to have an option to purchase a signed copy of Keith's book as part of the package, but we'll confirm that as soon as we can. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Ben Newitt and Jack Bateman. Join us next on Friday when Natasha Hodgson will be discussing women in the Crusades.